Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Did you know that as Christians, we have actually been chosen and elected for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul in Jesus Christ our Lord? Did you know that Ephesians 1 says our Heavenly Father actually decided who would be saved and spend eternity in heaven before the world was created? Let's open our Bible now to 1 Peter 1 and look at this amazing doctrine of God's election. Good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is Friday here in Texas and hopefully everyone's doing well and just loving Jesus and you're growing in your relationship with Jesus. Hopefully you've been spending time in your Bible every day, just uh, just reading your Bible, reading and studying and meditating and memorizing the living word of God. Uh, as I've said over and over again, there's literally nothing in our lives that's of more benefit to us than spending time in the scriptures. Um, spending time with Jesus, growing in our relationship with Jesus is the biggest priority of our lives as Christians. Uh, to grow to know Jesus, to grow to love him, uh, to know to grow his love uh, for us and for everyone, and, uh, and, and to grow to obey him in really every aspect of our lives and to repent when we fall short. And we do that, number one, by spending time in our Bible, by spending time in the scriptures and feeding our spirit and soul in the scriptures. We, we all feed our physical body several times uh, a day. Um, we, we have snacks normally two or three times. We have two or three meals. Um, imagine if we fed our spirit that way. If we fed our spirit and soul with the living word of God in just a, uh, even a moderately similar way that we feed our spirit, um, we would really be that much closer to Jesus and we would experience deeper and more intimate and more, more profound relationship with Jesus. Um, and that's what we want, right? Now, the more, the more you experience relationship with Jesus, the more you want it and you, it starts to become exciting. And so today we're going to discuss, uh, we're going to finish up First Peter chapter one, verses one and two. Last time we did a, uh, an extensive discussion on Peter and, um, just, uh, you know, a, a lot of different various facts about Peter. And then we got into a little bit of verse one. So we're going to, we're going to finish verses one and two today. Uh, maybe a little shorter teaching. We'll see. So we're going to go ahead and pray and then we'll read it and we will get rolling. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father, we do love you. We bless you. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the word of God, Father, just the living word of God. We just thank you, Father, for your word, for the scriptures. We thank you for our Bible, Father. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King and God, Lord. Jesus, we love you. We bless you and we thank you. We worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. We ask you to open the word of God to our hearts and minds. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, we're in 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. And I'll just go ahead and read it again, and we'll pick up where we left off. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, 
strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Um, if you look at, you know, as we, as you just study the word of God slowly and carefully, when you come to the scriptures to study the scriptures, you really want to pay attention to, to each word. You really want to chew on the word of God. You want to make sense of it. You want to think about the scriptures, Scott. Um, you just want to, you know, to really to chew on them and to think through them. What does that mean? Like, what does this mean? We talked last time about that Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And again, all the different um, facts about Peter's ministry and how, um, you know, how, how very much, you know, he is, he is uh, involved throughout the Gospels more than anyone else beside Jesus we discussed. Um, and he wrote two books in the Bible, in the New Testament, First uh, uh, Peter and Second Peter. And so he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, and then it says to God's elect. And we talked about a little bit, what does it mean to be elect? Um, we talked about the fact that election and predestination um, are biblical facts. That there is no doubt that God has elected us, he's predestined us, and he has chosen us. Uh, Ephesians 1 says that this happened before uh, he created the world. You remember back in Genesis 1, if you go back in your Bible to the first book of the Old Testament called Genesis, um, in chapters 1 and 2, you can read uh, the creation and how God created the earth. Um, but Ephesians 1 tells us that God elected those, he chose those and predestined those who would come to eternal life in and through Jesus Christ, he did that before the earth was created. So Jesus knew God, the father, the Holy spirit and God, the son, Jesus, they elected and chose those who would have their sins forgiven, who would experience eternal life in heaven, who would come into relationship with God the Father as their heavenly Father, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit as their guide and comforter. Um, God the Father chose who would be saved from their sin and go to heaven and who would not be saved and as a matter of course, go to hell. And uh, this is a... Um, this is one of those Christian doctrines that that the vast majority of Christians have 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 not heard of before. Um, and it, it really doesn't make sense. Right. I mean, um, the fact that God chooses who is going to be saved, he elects, he chooses and then he predestines them according to his choice, who's going to be saved and who's not. You know, that's kind of a, you know. It doesn't make sense, right? It's almost troubling. But the Bible uh, speaks to this clearly throughout the scriptures. And Peter says he's writing to God's elect. Verse 2 says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. 
So it says it. So again, when you study the scriptures, you want to look at to God's elect. Okay. God elected you. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and savior today, if you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life and to save you from your sin, um, if you're a Christian today and you're currently relying completely and totally on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, then you are one of the elect. God has chosen you. If you have that revelation of Jesus Christ, if you have that understanding of your desperate need for Jesus to save you, Matthew, um, then you are a Christian today and you are one of the people that God chose before the world was created for salvation and for eternal life um, in this life and for eternity in heaven with the Holy Trinity, God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Um, and those who have not been chosen, who have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Bible makes it clear that the only, the only other alternative is to spend eternity in hell, um, where unfortunately they're, they're paying their sin debt. All, all human beings are sinful and have a debt to a holy God, the Bible teaches. Um, for that sin. Now, if you call on Jesus today and you, and you ask him to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life, Romans 10, 13 promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if today, if you haven't received Jesus, if you'll go to him and pray and say, Lord Jesus, I do believe that you lived a perfect life for me and that you died a perfect death for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you're alive and risen. And therefore I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Jesus, I place all my trust and confidence, hope and faith in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. If you'll receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, and again, that prayer is a model. What's important is that you mean the words when you pray them. Um, if you'll do that, all of your sin, past, present, and future sin, all of your wrongdoings, all of your disobedience, all of my wickedness, everything we've ever done wrong will be credited to Jesus Christ at the cross in his perfect righteous life, the righteous life that Jesus lived when he walked the earth will be credited to you. And that amazing exchange, Nathan, right, is the heart of the Christian gospel, the exchange of all of my sin for the perfect righteous life of Christ, the exchange of my completely sinful life and selfish life for the perfect righteous life of Jesus. And, and that exchange is what makes Christianity totally and completely and utterly unique. Every other religion in the world is trying to get to God by doing good things, doing good works. And as Christians, we also ought to do good works, but we don't do them to be saved. We don't do them to get to heaven. Um, we do them because we love Jesus. We do them because of all that Jesus has done for us. Right, Kristen? Um, we do them because we love Jesus and because we want to live for him. But nothing we do helps us go to heaven. Nothing we do can take away our sin. Our good doesn't take away our bad anywhere at any time. Good doesn't take away bad. As I've said before, if we if we just blow through a red light, right, and the policeman pulls us over, 
you know, uh, we can't say, you know, but officer, I didn't run the last 200 red lights. I stopped at them. The officer would say it doesn't matter. All the good you did in stopping at the other 200 red lights wouldn't take away that you disobeyed this law. You broke this law and you'd have to pay the penalty for the ticket. And it's the same with our sin. All the good we do doesn't take away our sin. That's why we need a savior. That's why Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. If I could do it myself, I wouldn't need Jesus, right? And so salvation comes from trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Now, once we've done that, the, the result of that is that you and I have a desire to increasingly live our lives for Jesus Christ in every way. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So the fact is that God has elected those. The Bible tells us that. But now the question is, you know, what was the condition of his election? Why did he elect and choose us, those who have received Jesus Christ? What was the reason for it? What was the condition of it? You know, what was, you know, um, you know, what was behind God choosing who he chose to be saved? You know, what's the reason that he chose some people to receive Jesus Christ as their savior and others he didn't? And we're going to, we're going to see here in verse two, it says to God's elect strangers in the world. We'll get back to that scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia verse two, who have been chosen. So to God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So listen to that, that verse very carefully. Why were you chosen? Why were all Christians throughout history chosen? Why were certain people chosen before the world was created to receive Jesus Christ? It says here, to God's elect, verse 2, who have been chosen according to, to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So your election and God's choosing of you or me, if you're a Christian today, it says that the basis of that election was on the foreknowledge of God the Father, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So the question is, what does foreknowledge mean? And as I said in the last podcast, this verse, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, um, and um, verses in, in Romans 8, um, Ephesians 1, um, that speak to these things, it speaks that we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge. And the entire debate on this doctrine of election comes down to this one verse. What is the basis of God's choosing? Why did he choose some and not others? And, and this says it's according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It says that here. It gives us the reason for God's election. So what does that mean? What is foreknowledge? Okay. Well, the plain and obvious answer to what foreknowledge is, it's, is that means it says according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that means you were elect, you were chosen to receive Jesus based on something God the Father knew beforehand. So 
what would be the basis of what God the Father would have known before the world was created that would cause him to choose and predestine all those to receive Christ? What would it be? Well, the obvious answer, and this is a fact, it's not the only fact, but to many, this is the only fact. And it very well may be the only fact, okay? Um, the obvious thing that God knew beforehand, that God the Father, it says, knew beforehand, is that he knew that those who, when presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, would receive it, and he knew who would reject it. We've often talked about the fact that God is omniscient. That means he knows any, he knows everything. He can't learn anything. So he knew all human beings before they were ever born. And God the Father knows who would, when presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, receive it. And he knows who would reject it. So it stands to reason, if you just, if you think through it slowly, that, that God the Father knowing who would receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, chooses those and predestines those and elects those that he knows in advance, foreknowledge, that he knows who beforehand will receive Jesus, and those are the ones he chooses, right? So from this end, right, from this understanding, we find that, you know, God the Father is not arbitrarily just choosing who's going to be saved because it says in uh, 1 Timothy 2 that it's God's will that all people be saved. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9 that it's God's will that no one perish and spend eternity in hell. So if foreknowledge means here that God knows beforehand who's going to receive Christ and who isn't, and he simply makes sure that those who will receive Christ are presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, given the opportunity to hear the gospel that you've already heard, uh, you know, during this teaching. And he knows those who will call on Jesus to receive Jesus into their heart as their only Lord and Savior. He knows those who will trust Christ and those who won't. Simply knowing those who will trust Christ he makes sure they have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ and receive Jesus, have their sins forgiven, and they are his elect and will ultimately go to heaven and have relationship with the Holy Trinity for all eternity. Uh, consequently, also God the Father knowing who, when presented with the gospel, will reject it as a matter of course. You know, he doesn't send them to hell. They go to hell because of their 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 rejection of Jesus Christ as the Savior, as their only hope. So, you know, many people will say, you know, a loving God would never send someone to hell. And that's true. God doesn't send you to hell. You and I choose that on our own. Does that make sense? If you choose to receive Jesus Christ today, all of your sins will be forgiven. And you'll spend eternity in heaven. If you choose to reject him as a matter of that choice, you now have to spend eternity in hell paying for your sin debt.
The reason it's eternity is because the interest is so great on our sin. Our sin is so overwhelming that it continues to bear interest and you'll never pay the debt off if you have to do it yourself in hell. Therefore, give your life to Jesus Christ today if you're not sure that you have. Go back and rewind and call on him using the prayer I had just given you as a model and pray that prayer sincerely and with all your heart and, and you will become a Christian and one of God's elect. So hopefully this makes sense, right? Now, there is another school of thought regarding election, okay, that says that although this is certainly true, that God does know and understand beforehand who when presented with the gospel will receive Jesus. The other school of thought says that God's foreknowledge actually means more than the word says. The word foreknowledge simply means to know beforehand. But this school of thought says that, that, uh, that election and predestination and God's choosing based on his foreknowledge, um, that the word foreknowledge means more than to know beforehand that, you know, if, if it only meant beforehand, if it only meant for God to know beforehand, then we wouldn't need election at all, right? God would not need to elect people. He would just save all those, you know, who would give themselves to Jesus Christ. So there are two schools of thought. Okay, two reasonable schools of thought. The first one is that what I had just explained. Those God, those God elects, predestines, and chooses are the ones that he knows beforehand in his foreknowledge who, when presented with the gospel, will receive Jesus and who will reject it. Of course, so he's not choosing his favorites. You know, he elects the ones that he knows beforehand who will receive Jesus. And so he's not doing it for you. Um, he's simply allowing for your choice. Now, there is another school of thought um, that says this foreknowledge is far beyond that, that it really is that God is choosing who will be saved. He's not just knowing beforehand, but he is actually choosing those for salvation who he determines and in this view, it's not based on anything we would believe or certainly anything we would do. In this view, God's election is, is simply based on who he has determined, not based on anything we would do or wouldn't do, who would be saved and given the absolute gift of eternal life. Keeping in mind that salvation is a gift. None of us deserve it. Okay, the Bible is clear that all of us deserve uh, eternal hell and separation from God because we are a sinful people. And in the second view, God chooses those he will rescue from that. He gives them the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he gives them the belief to actually believe that gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so in this view... Everything is done in the sovereignty of God, and it literally has no free will of man in it. Meaning, the first view allows for the free will of human beings to choose Jesus Christ or reject him. And that God is going to elect you based on those who would of their own free will choose Jesus Christ. 
The second view is saying that there is no free will, that God the Father is of his own will and is of his own desire going to choose before the world was created those that he desired in his own will to be saved from their sin, to receive the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, and ultimately go to heaven and spend eternity with him and have relationship with him. He's going to do that, not based on anything that you or I would do, not even based on anything that you or I would believe, but it's in his own counsel, in his own understanding, in his own will, in his own desire, and therefore he does all the steps necessary to bring about his sovereign will. Um, and so then it would be him who would grant you the ability to believe in Jesus Christ. Okay. It would, it would be him who gave you the, the understanding and the capacity of understanding to believe in Jesus Christ. Then it would be him who made sure that you were presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was him, as I've already said, that's, that's given you the ability to understand the gospel. And then it's him that gives you the desire to run to the foot of the cross and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So, in the second view, and these are the, really the only two reasonable views, okay? This is what the Bible teaches, okay? Um, for the vast majority of people, the second view doesn't make sense, right? Because, you know, why would God just choose those he wants for salvation and allow everyone else just to spend eternity in hell? It certainly doesn't seem fair or right or proper by any reasonable understanding that we have, Right. Um, and we certainly wouldn't be allowed to behave in this way. We are told that we're not to show favoritism. As a matter of fact, we're, we're told that God does not show favoritism. Um, so the second view does not make sense to most people. Now, to those who are what are called Calvinists, to those who are reformers, the second view is the only reasonable view. And when you study the scriptures in depth on this point, you can see the merits of this view. Um, and when you study the merits of the first point, the one I said, that it's simply based exactly on what this word is here for knowledge, that it does just simply mean that God knows beforehand who, when presented with the gospel, will receive it, will receive it. And according to their free will, he chooses those for salvation, those who of their free will want it, and they become his elect, they become his children, and those who reject it, regrettably, of their own will, you know, are, uh, are accountable for that and ultimately go to heaven. So this doctrine is, um, if you are deep up into Christian circles, if you happen to go to a Reformed church or a Calvinist church, um, but then you certainly you know, have heard these things before. But if you happen to be in most Methodist church, if you happen to be in a Catholic church, if you have to happen to be in many Presbyterian churches, if you happen to be in Lutheran churches, um, if you have to be in Episcopalian churches, um, if, you, if you happen to be in the, the, the vast majority of different churches, then there's a good possibility you have actually never heard this till just now. 
You've never heard this doctrine. And for most, for almost all Christians who hear this, the, the, the first step explanation does seem to be the rational one. As far as what's true, um, I will say that I certainly hope the first one is true. Um, but there, there is a reasonable argument that, that either of these two explanations is true. Now, I will say this. One of them is certainly true. Okay. Um, there is no middle ground here. Meaning when we just take the word of God and all the revelation of the word of God, that one of the two explanations that I've given you is true. And, you know, um, you need to study your Bible and you need to ask questions and you need to determine for yourself, you know, what you believe and what makes the most sense to you. As I said, obviously, if you've never heard this, the first one makes sense. The second one is a far deeper understanding because it's going past just the word foreknowledge to mean beforehand. Um, so thank you, Lord Jesus. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, and for those who have been asking for more doctrinal teaching, we've certainly jumped into deep water here. Um, I want to go back to where it says to God's elect strangers in the world in verse one. Okay. Um, you and I are called to be strangers in this world. And, and I certainly confess, um, that, that, that I've gotten too comfortable with the world, right? Um, the Bible says that we are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Um, but as Christians, the vast majority of us are very attached to the world, the systems of the world, um, the, and just, you know, all the, the physical things in the world, all the material things in the world. Um, as Christians, we have a far, we have, we have an attraction to the world that's far, far bigger than it should be. And I do as well. Um, and these are things my wife, May, and I somewhat consistently remind ourselves of and, and, and we repent of, but certainly, um, we would both say we just have a long way to go, meaning we just get attached to to having a comfortable life, right? Nice cars and nice homes and a nice bank account and, uh, you know, nice vacations and eating the nice kind of food we want. And, um, and really, Christians, right, disciples of Jesus Christ are called to increasingly separate themselves from worldly and sinful desires and worldly and sinful behaviors and worldly and sinful thoughts. Um, and it is a lifelong process called sanctification. So you and I are called to be strangers in the world, but regrettably for most of us as Christians, we are actually not strangers. We're, we're, we're completely in the world and with the world. And that's something we need to work on uh, to become more and more strangers in the world. Um, but if you go back to verse two, it says that verse two, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? So you see how we're going really slow to break this down now so we can understand this doctrine. It says that those who have been chosen, that if you're a Christian today, if you are one of God's elect, if you have received Jesus Christ, based on the foreknowledge of God the Father, and you presently are a Christian, which means you are one of God's elect, um, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work 
of Jesus Christ through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. The result, if you have been chosen, if you believe you're a Christian today, if you are truly trusting in Jesus Christ today, the purpose for your election by God is that you would be sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus. So what am I saying? Election is not just a heavenly thing where you're elect to go to heaven. Uh, election has a, a consequence for this life. And that consequence is that you are in a process called sanctification. It says the sanctifying work of the spirit. It's the it's God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of our father and the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit um, that lives in us. And if you are one of the elect today, if you are a Christian today, the spirit of God is living in you and driving you in this process of sanctification to want to be more like Jesus, to want to live a more holy life. Sanctification is another doctrine that we'll get into at another time. And sanctification means simply that after you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you spend the rest of your life in this process called sanctification, which means increasing holiness and Christ-likeness in the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. Okay, so the doctrine of sanctification means increasing holiness and Christ-likeness in the life of the Christian. Okay, so after you receive Jesus Christ, holiness means to be, to do more and more what's right and less and less what's wrong. Okay, God is completely holy. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Your Bible is a holy Bible. Your Bible is perfect. God the, the Holy Trinity is perfect. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're sinless. They do everything right. They never do anything wrong. Sanctification is the process where you increasingly are doing more and more what's right and less and less what's wrong. You're becoming less and less sinful. You're repenting more and more over, over sins. You're seeing in a deeper way different sinful aspects of your life. And more and more you're trying to refrain from these things as well as more and more trying to do what's right in every aspect of your life. This is called holiness and Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is obviously that you are laboring to increasingly become more like Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life. Right, Peyton? You are increasingly, Benny, trying to be more like Jesus in every manner and every way. Christ-likeness, trying to be more like Christ. That's what sanctification is, increasing holiness and Christ-likeness in the life of the believer. And Peter says that that's the result of your election, is that this ought to be there, okay? Um, that, that your election was through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. So the purpose of your election is sanctification and growing obedience to Jesus and all that he's told you to do. That's the purpose of all of us as Christians is growing obedience to Jesus and all that he's given us to do. Growing obedience to every aspect of what the Bible teaches. You remember the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 
Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, um, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he said this, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he said, and I'm with you. If you'll have a lifestyle of growing obedience to Jesus Christ, you'll experience the presence of Jesus Christ in an, in an, in an increasingly profound way. Right, May? My sweetheart, my wife. Um, and certainly, for those of us who are in relationship with Jesus, we have experienced this, right? So the purpose for election is not just to get you to heaven, okay? The purpose of election is also, it has a component in this life that, that you would be more like Jesus Christ, that you would grow and mature in holiness and Christ-likeness, that you would consistently grow moment by moment, day by day, in obeying Jesus Christ and repenting where you fall short and me repenting where I fall short. Um, and, and that that would be the, the focus of our lives, right? And you notice it ends in verse, uh, the rest of it says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Because none of us are going to be perfect in our obedience to Jesus Christ, None of us will ever be completely sanctified, completely like Christ, totally perfect. We need the blood of Christ. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that can save us from our sin. If we could be perfectly obedient, then we wouldn't need Jesus Christ. But the Bible, God has given his word that no human being can. It says all human beings are sinful, right? In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned. Every human being has sinned and falls short of God's glory and God's standard. That's why we all need the blood of Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. Um, and then, as I said, the result of that is your obedience. Remember, your obedience doesn't help save you. Your obedience ought to be the result of God's election in your life, meaning you claim to believe in Jesus Christ today then you ought to have a lifestyle of growing more holy, more Christ-like, and more obedient to Jesus. And certainly all Christians are at a different place in this, right? But there ought to be some of this in your life. If there is no desire at all to be more holy in your life, if there's no desire in your life to be more like Jesus or to know Jesus or love him, if you have no desire at all for obedience to Jesus Christ, then you want to examine whether or not you truly do believe in Jesus. Have you truly called on Jesus? If you have doubts of that, then just stop and ask Jesus again. Call on him again and say, Lord Jesus, I, I want you to live inside of me, Lord. I want you to be the Lord of my life, Jesus. I want you to save me from my sin, Lord Jesus. I want you to transform me, Jesus, and make me more like you in my outward life, Jesus. Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior and God and King and to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life and change me, Lord. Change me from the inside out and help me to be more like you. Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. If you have no, no desire to be like Jesus, no desire to spend time with Jesus, no desire to obey Jesus, no desire to grow more holy, no desire to stop different aspects of sin in your life, um, then you want to go back to the foot of the cross and receive Jesus Christ into your heart. Um, 
that you might know that you know that you're saved from your sin by the grace of God. And the last sentence says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. If you have received Jesus Christ today, it's completely and totally by the grace of God. Grace is God's unmerited favor in our lives, right? We don't deserve it. Um, but he blesses us, right? And peace is the result of that salvation that we have, that we have peace with God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. The Bible teaches very clearly, um, in the book of Romans that, that if we do not, if we have not received Jesus Christ as our Lord and savior, we are actually an enemy of God. We are at war with God. Um, it says that we, we have enmity with God. It's crazy. It's like, it's like you and God or me and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at war. And so we want to have peace. We don't want to have war with God. Does that make a little sense, Scott? We want peace with God, not war with God. So give your life to Jesus Christ today, showing yourself to be one of the elect, um, and by God's grace and mercy and favor, when you place your full faith, trust, and confidence in Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sin and to bring you to heaven when you die and to be the Lord of your life, um, then you will have peace with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father will become your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ will be your Lord and Savior and Master and King. And the Holy Spirit will be your, your guide and comforter and counselor. So... Wow, that's a lot in those two verses, huh? So uh, that's how we study the Bible. Hopefully this doctrine of election makes a little more sense to you now. Um, and, you know, if you have questions, you can always, you know, there's a uh, there's a link that, uh, that the announcer, Stephen, um, has, I believe, at the end of these um, that go to the, uh, the production team. My daughter, Kristen, does a great job there as well. And, uh, and those questions will ultimately get to me if you have questions. So feel free to send the email. Lord Jesus, we just thank you and we praise you for your mercy and your favor and your goodness on our lives. Jesus, we just love you and we bless you. And, and Father, I pray that every human being alive today would be one of your elect, that every human being, Lord, that you would call unto salvation, Lord, that, all, that everyone alive today would give their lives to Jesus Christ totally and completely. I pray that every human being, Father, in the world would come and give their life to Jesus Christ and trust him as their only Lord and Savior and Master and God and King. Draw them unto you, Father, I pray. Holy Spirit, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We thank you for the Word of God, and above all, we thank you for the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we commit this time into your hands. Again, we thank you for your Word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org. If you'd like to email us directly, you can reach us at contact at kingdomd.org. 